attractive alternative to therapy. The motivation for this piece is to play what little part I can in combating the current mental health crisis, the evidence for which I can see in myself and in friends and family all around me. I've struggled with depression at several points in my life, and I'd like to share what I've learned about how it can be overcome. The key lesson I've learned is that depression can be overcome through humility. But this is not something you simply learn. This is something you must remind yourself of every day. Many people have come to a similar realization, and this has resulted in a trend of people embracing the use of mantras. I'd like to go one step further and suggest that, more generally, the solution to the mental health crisis is to embrace religious thought. Now, Many of my friends and family have become allergic to anything that seems even vaguely religious. Nonetheless, I think it is useful to use this term for several reasons, which I will explain momentarily. But first, I'd like to discuss why it is that so many people seem to be allergic to the connotations associated with religion. With the relatively recent trend towards globalization, as well as various scientific developments, more and more people find the traditional religious narratives simply don't work in modern societies. There are groups associated with some of the most prolific traditional religions, such as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that use blatant fear tactics, such as the threat of going to hell, or excommunication to maintain control over their subscribers. These groups also tend to paint a picture of us versus them, which demonizes the other and simply doesn't work for anyone who embraces a vision of global human symbiosis. It is common for people in modern society to blame religious thinking such as this for many of the atrocities throughout history and even today. For this reason, the term religious thinking is almost immediately rejected outright. However, I'd like to make a distinction between religious thought and the doctrine of a church. I believe that these issues are not inherent in religious thought. I believe that these issues arose from specific groups of people with specific interpretations of religious texts. Therefore, religious thought is not inherently evil. Rather, any church or more generally, any group of people that gains power becomes susceptible to corruption. Furthermore, dubious mimetic devices such as fear tactics just so happen to be very successful tools for manipulating masses of people. 
we see evidence for this even outside of a strictly religious context in the polarization of modern narratives between the left and the right in the United States. So it is the virality of such mimetic devices that is the root of these issues. It is not something inherent to religious thought. I think it's important to salvage the term religious because I believe we do not escape religious thought by not subscribing to a particular church or religious group. An atheist progressive is inherently religious in some very real sense. No matter what you believe is good and right, you do have to believe in that. What is good and right is not a scientific fact. It is a belief and therefore it is in some sense inherently religious. I believe it's very useful to recognize this and so I've decided to promote religious thought. Another reason I've decided to embrace the term religious thought is that it gives respect where it's due to the wisdom that does exist in the teachings of our ancestors. If we recognize the reason that fear tactics were adopted through a process we might call mimetic natural selection, we can look past that and salvage the highly valuable wisdom that is embedded in traditional religions. Many of these fear tactics were adopted in a very different time, when people were fighting for survival as the daily norm. It is time for the narratives to be updated, but that doesn't mean we need to assume that there's no wisdom in these traditions. For example, Almost all traditional religions put an emphasis on humility versus hubris. Humility is seen as a virtue, and hubris is seen as a sin, and even the root of all sin. Once I recognized that humility was the answer to my depressive tendencies, and made that connection to religious wisdom, I could no longer deny that there is very valuable wisdom to be found in traditional religious teachings. Furthermore, I find there is a certain magic or power to some of the language that is associated with religion. Words such as God, good, bad, heaven, hell, sin, virtue, faith, and worship are all very valuable ideas upon which to build a healthy mental framework for how to think about life. These terms can readily be defined in such a way that does not require belief in anything superstitious or supernatural, though we must give a nod to the limits of what can be known. Hell, for example, can be defined as a state of being rather than some sort of eternal afterlife. 
if hell is a state of being, then depression can be understood as a form of hell. If one can escape hell by embracing humility, then that suggests they found themselves there in the first place by committing the sin of hubris, because hubris is the opposite of humility. Now we have a definition for sin. Any act or thought that leads us toward a hell-like state of being, such as depression. By recognizing that hubris is a sin, we can consciously try to avoid it and thereby proactively reduce the chances that we find ourselves in hell. This is the sort of thing that mantras attempt to do, but I believe that by embracing religious thought, we can build a much more solid and resilient framework for personal mental health. Beyond avoiding sinful behavior, we can also build a framework for how to actively pursue the good. To pay attention to the good is, in some very real sense, to worship God. This is not a definition for God, but it creeps up on one. Through virtue, one can manifest the good, and in doing so become close to God. If one does this effectively, they will find themselves in a heaven-like state. An understanding that one can approach heaven through virtue can be called faith. Another definition for faith is eternal optimism. One way of saying this would be to say that God is good. But we have not yet defined God, so what does that mean? We might say that God is just another name for nature. In this case, to have faith in God is to believe that nature will take care of itself. Here I am including humanity in nature with a capital N, because if we choose to define God as equivalent to nature, we must include humanity in that definition. If we look at climate change, for example, to have faith in God is to be optimistic that we will be able to confront the challenges ahead of us. To fail to do so is to fail to have faith in God. This is a sin, hubris, by definition, and therefore will lead to a hell-like state of being, depression. So we've looked at one possible interpretation for how you could define God but there are really any number of useful ways to define God which don't require belief in anything superstitious. Regardless of the specifics, any interpretation must nod towards the limits of what can be known. The idea of God can, in general, be considered a tool for making sense of our experiences and helping us understand how to find meaning in them.
Take, for example, pain. Why does pain exist? How can we make sense of this? We cannot know why pain exists, but we can make sense of it through an interpretation of God. What role does pain play in our lives? Empirically, it seems to be a mechanism for motivation and for learning. If we assume that there is meaning in our lives, it follows that pain plays a role in developing that meaning. We might say that meaning is derived in our lives through the learning processes that are facilitated by pain. This approach is a definition for God from two angles. The first would be to define God as the source of meaning. The second would be to define God as whatever we are serving by learning through our experiences of pain in this case. All of these things are fundamentally unknowable in some sense and therefore exist within the realm of the divine. But notice how useful it is to be able to talk about such things. In some sense, we might understand the idea of God as an inherent property of consciousness that encapsulates things we can only approach understanding, at the limits of what we can know and fully make sense of. Another way to approach a definition for God is by assuming that God is whatever we are serving when we strive for what is good. We all have a sense of what we believe is good, therefore we can approach a definition for God based off of that. For example, I personally believe that it is good to think of all conscious beings as having experiences and perspectives that are valid and interesting in some fundamental sense. I like to say that our lives are stories in the great consciousness. This plays nicely with the ideas of Atman and Brahman in Hinduism. Atman is considered to be the soul of a single being, and Brahman is considered to be the great soul, or God. Many Hindus believe that there is no fundamental distinction between Atman and Brahman, meaning that all souls are part of the one great soul, which is God. The great consciousness, the universal consciousness, etc. I believe that one lives their best life when recognizing that all conscious beings do have an interesting and valuable perspective in some fundamental sense. By seeing all conscious beings as connected and referring to that great mysterious connection as God, we find yet another way to approach a definition for God recognition that all conscious beings have a valuable perspective plays nicely in turn with the idea that humility is a virtue. One of the traps of hubris that many intellectuals fall into is failing to see this. 
to think that you are so intelligent that you don't have something to learn from everyone is arrogance and hubris. I was guilty of this for many years. Now I see it as a major contributor to my depression. If one is uninterested in seeing the perspectives of others, they make their world into a very small and cold place, like hell, do themselves a disservice, and fail to serve God. I've collected a wealth of empirical evidence to support this interpretation from my own life and I see ample evidence that others struggle with this as well. To approach the virtue of truth, one must be not only willing but eager to understand the perspectives of others, especially those who disagree with them. More on this in the future. Notice that none of these beliefs are based on anything superstitious or supernatural, and yet they are beliefs. They are based on assumptions and are therefore inherently religious in some sense. One's beliefs about what is good are inherently religious. In a sense, this is a definition for the word religious. Good is a fundamentally religious concept because we cannot know what is good. We can only believe things to be good in the eyes of God. All of these definitions for religious terms we can approach based on empirical evidence. In a very real sense, empirical evidence is all we have access to. All we have is our experience. We try to make sense of it the best we can. There are always unknowns. Therefore, religious ideas are inherent to conscious thought. We all have religious beliefs because all beliefs are religious by definition. To fail to recognize this is to limit your tool set for building an effective mental framework for how to live your life. If we accept this definition, then we can clearly see it is incoherent to reject the wisdom in traditional religious teachings on the basis that we should have beliefs built on something other than religious thought. Again, we separate religious thought from the particulars of any specific church or doctrine. We understand that religious thought is inextricably linked to the mechanism by which we all formulate our beliefs. If we accept that all beliefs are religious, it follows that all ideology is religious. Progressivism, then, is essentially a religion that does not openly admit to being one. 
and progressivism has a kind of church in the social structures that promote the ideology, the educational system, the media, etc. Seeing as many, if not all, traditional religious churches have become corrupt in some sense, we might be tempted to think that these social structures should be no different. Remember, the success of a doctrine hinges upon the virality of the mimetic tools that it employs. More generally, there's a lot to be gained, politically, by painting a picture of a utopian future and selling it to the masses. But that's a discussion for another episode. The blurriness of the line between progressivism and religion becomes hard to ignore if you look at Baha'i. By my interpretation, Baha'i is essentially a form of progressivism that admits to being a religion. I find this very interesting. I also find it interesting that the doctrine of Baha'i gives respect to all world religions and recognizes some fundamental wisdom and underlying truth that connects them all. To me, these ideas make Baha'i a significant upgrade to most forms of progressivism. However, the teachings of Baha'i seem to espouse more or less the same sort of utopian ideal as any progressive ideology, which raises a warning flag for a hubris trap. I'm not familiar enough with Baha'i to judge how effectively they pursue progressive activism, but I can say that my issue with progressivism in general is how one-sided the narratives often are. I believe that to avoid hubris and to ultimately have a functional and productive approach to things, we must seriously consider multiple opposing viewpoints and state explicitly where we believe the line should be drawn on every front. Take the climate issue, for instance. A standard progressive narrative is that fossil fuels are bad, and therefore we should increase the cost of using them to account for the effect they have on the environment. This is a straightforward, linear argument, and that's the problem with it. If the actual result of this policy is that people start burning firewood to heat their homes so that they can survive the winter, the result is more pollution, so it has the opposite of the intended effect. Pursuit of the perfect is often in opposition to the good. To do good, we must keep a vigilant eye towards this and try to make holistic plans for how to approach challenges. Taking into account the current state of affairs and being honest with ourselves and realistic about how things will play out. This is very hard to do. For complex issues, such as climate, it requires having an accurate model of the whole world and all the major human interactions. 
It is much easier for someone to sell a narrative that plays on the emotions of the masses than it is to make and employ a coherent and effective plan. We must always stay vigilant of such narratives and try to understand complex issues from multiple perspectives if we are to strive to do good in the eyes of God. I've referenced some Christian themes, but I haven't explicitly talked about Christianity yet. I will do so now. I think it's important that I pay some respect to Christianity for several reasons. The first is that for so many of my friends and family, their disillusionment with religion in general stems from issues they have with specific Christian groups, namely fundamentalists, that they or their ancestors were directly affected by. Fear tactics, such as the threat of going to hell or being excommunicated from your community, have been commonly used by various Christian groups. The great irony in such churches is that dogmatism is a form of hubris. We cannot know what the correct interpretation of the Bible is. To think we can is satanic. It's entirely understandable that one would feel this is wrong and become disillusioned by religion in general as a result. However, we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. It's time to modernize the way we relate to religion. We should reject the use of fear tactics, but there is much wisdom to be salvaged from the traditional religions, including Christianity. That's the second reason I wanted to mention it. Christianity is of particular interest because it puts an emphasis on forgiveness. Just as pain is necessary for some forms of learning, forgiveness towards oneself and others is also necessary for learning. Again, we cannot know what is good or bad. We must update our beliefs as we go and always strive to do better. This is where the ideas of confession, repentance, and forgiveness become very useful. If you thought it was right to do something, but you later changed your mind, you must confess to the error of your ways, and you must repent to yourself and those around you. Only once you forgive yourself have you truly learned. This whole process requires humility. Considering how hubris has become baked into modern social norms, it'll be critical to embrace the lessons of forgiveness, shout out to my man Jay Christ, to move past this time of hubris and depression. Until a few years ago, I'd never imagined that my spiritual journey to confront my struggles with depression would lead me to study and embrace religious thought 
But after studying various religious frameworks and recognizing that the line between religion and secular ideology is a very blurry one, I now believe it is only logical to accept that we are all engaged in religious thought. Now that I've accepted that, I do not need to start from scratch to build a framework for my personal mental health. I can incorporate the wisdom I find in traditional religious thought. There is much power in the words associated with religion. There's also much baggage that we need to work to let go of, but I think it's much easier to do that than it is to start from scratch and relearn everything the hard way. Much of the wisdom in religious teachings is generational. It takes entire lifetimes to really solidify such wisdom with confidence. If we can overcome our automatic aversion to everything associated with religion, we can harness the tools that we inherited from our ancestors to help us live healthy and meaningful lives.